case scenarios. New York City schools have closed to in-person teaching today. Teachers Union President Randy Weingarten. New York City should be credited for doing what no other major school system did, which is to reopen in-school instruction for kids in a safe way, but having community spread the way it's now going all across the country, schools are not impervious to that. But in Washington... CBS News has learned that the White House Coronavirus Task Force is not calling for schools to close. They're not calling for that because they say the data doesn't suggest that the virus is being a big spreader and spreading in schools. However, you know what they all are calling for? Closing of indoor dining and bars. CBS's David Begnell. Early results suggest the Oxford AstraZeneca trial vaccine has minimal side effects in all age groups. The vaccine is extremely well tolerated in those who are over 55. But it's not clear yet if the vaccine actually works. President Trump's said little about the pandemic lately, a lot about the election. He still insists he won. The Trump campaign continuing to pursue recounts in several states, though the election officials involved insist any discrepancies uncovered so far are minor and highly unlikely to affect any of the outcomes. In Israel, a controversial visit by America's top diplomat. Mike Pompeo became the first Secretary of State to visit an Israeli settlement touring a West Bank winery built on land claimed by the Palestinians. Today, the United States Department of State stands strongly to the recognition that settlements can be done in a way that are lawful and appropriate and proper. Most countries consider Jewish settlements to be illegal under international law. Robert Berger, CBS News, Jerusalem. One week before Thanksgiving... Turkey prices are down with many families planning smaller Thanksgiving Day dinners amid coronavirus. The American Farm Bureau says the price of a 16-pound turkey is 7% lower than last year. The average price of a traditional Thanksgiving meal for 10 this year is $47. CBS's Jim Crisula. Now... Even Wonder Woman's had to adapt to the pandemic. Nothing good is born from rising and greatness is not what you think. Warner Brothers announcing Wonder Woman 1984 will open in U.S. cinemas on Christmas Day, but HBO Max subscribers can also see it free for its first month. This is CBS News. These days, better nutrition and stronger immunity are essential. That's why Eggland's Best gives you and your family more, so we can all be at our very best. Only Eggland's Best. Charlie's management team is currently a team of one. Yeah, I got, I got a meeting, but uh, you keep up the good work. Can you fix that display for me? Did Steve show up today? It's time to hire. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. The moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Indeed delivers two and a half times more hires than the other branded job sites combined, according to Breezy HR 2019. Visit Indeed.com credit and get a $75 credit for your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. A horrifying discovery on a Florida beach. Or was it? Peter King has that story. Some volunteer beach cleaners in the Florida Panhandle thought somebody had stuck his or her neck out a little bit too far. They discovered what appeared to be a decapitated human body covered with all kinds of gunk from the Gulf, washed up on shore. They even called 911. And then they discovered it was simply a headless store mannequin, much worse for the wear. Peter King, CBS News, Orlando. And finally, British experts tasked with minimizing environmental impact say they've identified a new threat to the planet. You've got mail. Yep, it's the billions of unnecessary emails sent every day, including those that say nothing more than thanks. The Financial Times reports that in the UK alone, more than 64 million unnecessary emails are sent every day, pumping thousands of tons of carbon into the atmosphere because of the power they consume. So think twice before forwarding that next cute kitten video. I'm Vicki Barker, CBS News. Balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. My name is J.R. Martin. I have two master's degrees, one in health promotion, the other as a master in medical science. And I trust balance of nature. Even when I'm in the medical field and prescribe all types of medicines, I still feel like the less medicine, the better. 
Our body always tries to find a way to become healthier. So if we can support it and help it in a natural way, that is the design. And it's been fantastic to work with Balance of Nature, seeing the fruits and vegetables come in from the farmers and then seeing it put in a form that can be taken each day. And then seeing those that benefit from it was fantastic. It was a great thing. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code FRUITS. If you are on Medicare and have questions about drug and health coverage options, register for a Medicare checkup webinar with the Ohio Department of Insurance. Learn about Medicare open enrollment, financial assistance programs, and important deadlines. Everyone in Medicare should review their health and prescription drug plan options. Annual open enrollment runs October 15th through December 7th, and any changes are effective January 1. Visit insurance.ohio.gov or call 1-800-686-1578 to schedule an appointment. Hey you, come see what Emily is cooking at Tavolino, home with a fresh, authentic, made-from-scratch Italian food. Stop it on your way to work for a double shot latte or bring the family for lunch or for dinner in a spot that feels like you're back in Inono's kitchen. Emily also does cooking class for adults and the kids alike. So ditch that pasta in a box and come learn a thing or two. Stop in at Davolino for not only a great meal, but an unforgettable experience. At 9 North Schaefer Street in Athens, Ohio, visit Tavolino on Facebook for the hours and the specials. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you think you'd like to win, but you can't, it's almost a cinch you won't. Life's battle doesn't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the person who wins is the one who thinks he can. Single game tickets on sale now at Bengals.com. Imagine this is your money and someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The IRS. They want your money, and guess what? They can legally take it, all of it if they want. Remember, they sent you that letter that said, hey, you owe us a bunch of cash and we're going to take it from you. So what do you do? Fight back by letting our team of experts at the tax helpline work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. And we're good at what we do. When you hire us, you get a team of guys on your side that know the IRS laws and will fight to save your money. So if you owe the IRS a ton of cash and you want to keep it, call right now and learn for free how we can help you put it back in your pocket. 800-942-1469. 800-942-1469. 800-942-1469. That's 800-942-1469. Integrated Services for Behavioral Health is the preeminent behavioral health organization in Southeast Ohio. It's an organization of over 300 like-minded individuals that provide services to some of the most vulnerable populations, believing in the resiliency of the individual. If you provide good services, if you care about the individual and you value communities, you know, the opportunities are endless. In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WBTH One week from Thanksgiving. It'll be a little different this year. Maybe a lot. It's our monthly visit today with the mayor of the city of Athens, Steve Patterson. He joins us via telephone. And I bet between the two of us, we can just fix everything. And I mean everything. It's the party line on 970 WATH 97.1 on FM as well. Beautiful sunshine streaming through our windows, almost making it hard to read uh, my notes in front of me, but it's going to climb up to 62 degrees today. 40, 41 tonight, 62 again tomorrow, and so on. So enjoy the next few days. Steve, good morning. 
Good morning, Dave. Welcome. And good morning, Scott, assuming Scott's there. Scott is. Yes, good morning, Steve. How are you doing? I am great, Scott, and you? Good. Good to have you on the show again. <laughs> it's always great being on your show. So how are you, Dave? Uh, how are things? I'm, 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 I'm struggling. You know, <laughs> um, and I'm not alone. You know, it's this COVID thing's driving me nuts. Um, I get it. I'm being careful. Some would say not careful enough, but um, we we go to places. We, I mean, my neighbors and I. My my wife's out of town for about a month or so, and um, enjoying our kids out in California. Um, uh, but we're we're trying to be careful. Uh, my neighbors and I, we go get a bite to eat here and there, and only places that we think are being responsible. And uh, but it's it's just driving me crazy. I want to do things. I'm a very social guy. You know what I mean. And <laughs> and it's just uh, oh, it's tough. Anyway, well, let's let's get on with things. First of all, um, it is what it is. The governor, uh, I think our governor is doing a terrific job. Um, you may differ with that. I don't know. But uh, I, I love the fact that he meets regularly with the public. We broadcast that um, each uh, Tuesday and Thursday and other times when necessary. Um, and uh, I, I like you know what I'm getting at, right? I, I do, I do, and I, you know, I'm I'm not on your show today to critique the governor. Um, I uh, there are certain things I think could have been handled a little differently. Okay. I think there's other things that he has handled extremely well. Uh, mm -hmm. I could only imagine the pressures that are on any governor right now. We're watching COVID nineteen cases. Uh, rising significantly, if not exponentially, across the nation. But, uh, you know, his most recent <clears throat> order, um, which I don't disagree with at all, because I know that I get calls often, uh, if not daily, about uh, people being very concerned about different businesses, and I won't name them, uh, different businesses to where <clears throat> the individual feels that uh Either customers are not masking up or nor being enforced to mask up or that, that employees aren't wearing masks. Um, we certainly do have a face covering ordinance in play and, and have since July 13th, 14th. And uh, the people can certainly call the non-emergency number at the police department, which is 740-592-592. 3313, if they enter into a business and they uh, are noticing or feeling uncomfortable because others around them are not masking up, whatever, uh, they can certainly call that number and report it, and the police department will respond. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the, the recent order from the governor, um, I find to be, uh, I, I think will be helpful. The uh, curfew? Where, are you referring to the curfew? Well, well, we can get to that. No, okay. I'm referring to the order, the expansion of the face covering ordinance to where businesses are now required by via the governor's order to um, mandate that customers wear a mask before entering into their establishment that is open to the public. Uh, the governor has also created a a enforcement, I don't want to call it an agency because it's not, an enforcement arm of the Bureau of Workmen's Comp that uh, will be kind of roaming around all municipalities in the state um, kind of almost as, uh, you know, secret shoppers uh, looking to see what's going on and if a business is found to be non-compliant with mandating customers to wear masks, or the employees aren't wearing them, that they can, initially they'll be warned. Uh, if there's a second, uh, a second finding for that establishment, they could risk being shut down for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so that's a new change to the governor's face covering ordinance. 
And then, yeah, you just alluded to something, Dave, that, uh, you know, that you and I can certainly discuss, which went into effect last night at 12.01 a.m., I believe. The curfew. The curfew. Well, I, mean, I, I don't have any problem with that because they, they've said, listen, if, you, if your job requires you to be out, um, you know, no problem. Um, if uh, illness in your family requires you to go somewhere, no problem. Just logical, reasonable things. Correct. And um, yep. otherwise, though, uh, you're not supposed to be out. And listen, I mean, what, what, you know, unless you're a teenager or something like that, <clears throat> and I, I mean this kind of in a joke way, uh, what, what good happens after 10 p.m.? You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I'm with you. Exactly. I, I don't disagree with you at all, Dave. I, and, I, and I'm showing my years of 71 years of age. But uh, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not far behind you at yeah. sixty. No, I, I I hear you. I and I think that that uh, it is for twenty one days, and it's a way in which the governor is signaling out, you know, that we we need to, you know, hunker down even more to get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, as you had indicated, if there's an emergency or uh, you know, you absolutely have to get out and go to, to, to say, Kroger to pick up something, um, you know, that you can do that because uh, businesses that are, are deemed necessary, mm-hmm. uh, you know, will remain open past that 10 o'clock time frame. So, yeah, sure. that, that was an interesting change. I was not anticipating something of that nature. I was anticipating um, something like reverting back to the way things were in March and April, and that did not happen. A little more severe, actually, um, if yes, correct. If that had happened, but uh, right. there's, there seems to be a zone of reasonableness uh, being applied here. Um, right. Well, um, I I just uh, you know we've had um, Chief Reimer, we've had Chief Pyle in um, both just before Halloween, hoping that nothing would happen there, and indeed it didn't. Um, I thought everybody handled themselves pretty well. There were some private porch parties that may have been a little too large, but it's impossible to um, have it perfect. Um, Yeah, to that point, Dave, it was, uh, and even those porch party gatherings, um, Athens Police Department responded mm-hmm. to those, and there were several, uh, there was warnings that were issued, there were nuisance party citations that were issued as well um, on that particular evening, October 31st, but I was on an hour-long phone call with the governor um, the Saturday after the 31st, and uh indicated to him, you know, what things were like here in Athens on Halloween, and I informed him that the city of Athens, and in particular, the uptown area dressed up as a ghost town on the 31st. <laughs> 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 there, yeah. there, I, was, I was pretty pleased with uh, the, the way Ohio University messaged and signaled out to everyone that the typical block party was not happening. Uh, we certainly did. We reached out to our counterparts at, uh, you know, Oxford and Bowling Green and Kent and other places, uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Dayton, and, you know, made sure the message got out. That well, that I, I fully expected that there might be some brief, spontaneous uh, uh, you know, Court Street appearance, but there wasn't. No, there was not. Uh, I just think everybody, um, maybe they weren't perfect, but they sure tried to do it right. And I, I appreciate that about our audience. Our, by our audience, I mean our people in this city and um, in the student body and everything. And I hope that next year they can have a 
the great one. <laughs> but anyway, um, assuming everybody's been vaccinated and all of that. That's right. That's right. But, uh, I'm, glad you I'm glad you qualified that. Sure. Because yes. um, I'm one who th happens to think that's a good thing in spite of all the negative uh, opinions about it over the years. You know, the last time it was officially sanctioned and organized, Earl Funk and I co-chaired it. Joel Rudy was also involved, uh, the dean of students, and, man, we had a great time. But, um, and it was all ages. It wasn't just campus. Well, anyway, um, but it scared the hell out of the city because we have 40,000 people show up. <laughs> You know, so instantly, oh my gosh, we can't handle this. We got to kill this thing. But uh, okay, well, listen. Um, let's, uh, seriously, let's talk about the election. What do you think? And, you know, I and, and what do you think I, about what's happened since? Well, you know, I just didn't know you know, quite honestly, going into the election, Dave, um, how things were going to turn out. Uh, and it was the thing that was the most impressive, and, and I, I think this is important for the, the listening audience to know, is that when I look at the number of people who turned out to vote, when we got, you know, almost half of the nation, um, which is unheard of, record numbers coming out, turning out to vote, you know, I, I, that's that's a a testament. Now it's a testament to those who uh, were wanting the the current administration to stay in office, uh, and it was also a testament to those who viewed that change is necessary for our democracy. And uh, so I, I uh, I'm really, really proud of the United States for mm. turning out in such great numbers, uh, and. That's number one. Number two, um, I was uh, uh, pleased with the outcome. Uh, I'm really pleased with the way poll workers um, put themselves, in, in some cases, in harm's way to make sure that it was a fair and safe election. Right. Um, my wife, for the first time ever, uh, volunteered and was a poll worker, um, and she found it to be quite rewarding and enjoyed doing that. But, you know, that's, that, to some people, that's a calling to, to work in that environment, especially under a pandemic. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have to give a lot of credit locally to Debbie Quibby, who um, really is the director for the Board of Elections and keeping things rolling and, and uh, you know, quite, quite notably so that, the Athens County uh, Board of Elections is one that is kind of a go-to example for other other uh, boards of election across the state of Ohio. That uh, the the level at which they take care to make sure that everyone everyone's uh, ballots are protected and handled properly, and uh, you know full counts and whatnot. Uh, you know that was wonderful to hear, uh, and. You know, I think there's a lot of concern post-election, even after, you know, um, the, the winner of the election was declared at the presidential and vice presidential level. Uh, you know, there was a lot of concern over what could happen. And, and I think there's still concern. But oh, yeah. I, I think uh, things have kind of gone pretty smoothly, have gone fairly well. Uh, moving forward, so again, I, I think a lot of people were bracing for for things to be much more difficult or things to be contentious, uh, much more contentious, uh, and that didn't necessarily, at least locally, did not manifest itself. Well, of course, I'm talking about the premier office of our land that I. I'm troubled there still, and I, I want, there must always be cooperation between one administration and the next, and a smooth crossover, and a, a complete 
exchange of information. And uh, it doesn't matter who wins, who loses, that must occur. And there seems to be a reluctance to have that happen yet. And um, that, that, that's concerning to me. It, it's concerning to me as well, Dave. Yeah, I, I am, you know, I'll be honest, I'm shocked by the, the uh, stonewalling of a transition. Yes. Uh, I'm probably even more disturbed by the firing of yes. cabinet members at this point in the game. Um, you know, when you're looking at a lame duck uh, and, and transitioning, you know, I, I, I don't understand why... Uh, any president would start to fire, uh, you know, some of his his, his uh, department heads and appoint new individuals for such a short period of time. And quite honestly, I don't understand why someone would want to accept a position like that for 60-some days, uh, knowing that you're likely to be mm-hmm. uh, replaced moving forward. It, it, it makes little sense. Uh, just to me, it just seems disruptive uh, attempts to continue to d- disrupt information flows as the transition does happen. But one way or another, there will be a transition. And uh, uh, I do understand that President-elect uh, Joe Biden is well on his way to selecting his cabinet. Uh, I've been on, uh, well, I'm currently in the middle of the National League of Cities City Summit virtual conference as we speak, uh, although you do have my undivided attention, Dave. I'm not doing anything other than speaking with you in the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, there's a, a panel or a um, task force that I have been selected to be a part of, and that is the Presidential Candidate Task Force for the National League of Cities. And we just met yesterday. Uh, and there's about 20 of us, 25 of us, that serve on this task force. And the whole conversation yesterday was was uh, being uh, a resource for the president-elect when it comes to transition. The chair of the this task force is um, the mayor of uh, Los Angeles and the mayor of Miami, Florida. They couldn't uh, do any better than that? Well, <laughs> I, 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 that was, I'm sorry, that was a joke, and you know it. Okay, keep going. Uh, well, I, I am on the task force, but I'm not co-chairing it. Okay. Uh, but uh, it was a great conversation, because the conversation was basically, you know, what are the things that, uh, that the National League of Cities feels strongly about in making sure that, that we are at the beck and call of the president-elect to help in any way, shape, or form. And some of the things that we spoke about were, were things that were not only backburnered by the current administration, but were stonewalled in some cases. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, things like immigration reform, uh, you know, uh, the uh, climate change um, and the Paris Climate Accord, uh, infrastructure. You know, there's such a huge need, especially now with coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is, uh, we've got significantly decaying highways and bridges, you know, nationwide that uh, need to be addressed moving forward and making sure that, that that's at the forefront of the president-elect, as well as one of the things that, that we really struggle with, Dave, and you know this as well as I do, in southeastern Ohio, is our broadband deserts, you know, Equal broadband access for everybody is important. You know, when we're looking at, at businesses right now, large and small, that have learned to adapt to remote working for their labor force, mm. which I think in some cases, um, businesses large and small are realizing, do I really need to have the overhead of a bricks and mortar location for my labor force when they could be effectively working for home Granted, they have reliable broadband that's of the speeds that are necessary to conduct their business. Uh, you know, I think the big cities that have, uh, even some small cities that have um, strong fiber 
systems and the ability to operate remotely, uh, Southeast Ohio struggles in that venue. Um, we really do. And I think now is that po- point in time in which that could finally, uh, we can make some significant headway, not only in rural communities, but also in urban communities where they, they struggle as well within well, certain areas. you know, with, with the remote teaching and so on, there have been some improvements. Some of them are band-aids, others are more permanent. Um, but I do feel that 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 that's being worked on. So, right. um, um, because this may continue for a while yet, and um, it pointed, and it also made known to uh, officials the areas that were dark. Uh, where maybe they hadn't known before. So okay. anyway, let's let's um, unless you have more on that, let's let's keep going here. Um, you know, Court Street has in the last uh, well, it's always looked good, but in the last year, a few years, particularly looked good. One of our staff members keenly involved in that, and uh, Les Cornwell highly supportive of that. Um, is that going to happen again? Yeah, it is going to happen again. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mr. Cornwell, Les Cornwell. Um, he had contacted me and um, wants to change the uh, lighting scheme mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am in favor of what his idea is. Um, so absolutely, it's going to happen again this year. Um, and hopefully, it'll look even more beautiful than ever before. So well, it's, a tro- it's, uh, honest, I know tro- of it, uh, Troy on our staff, um, Troy Bolin, um, he takes so much pride in that himself as well. Uh, well, but go thank ahead. Thank him for me. Sure. It, it, it always looks great, Dave. Um, we're going to do... Hopefully something a little bit different this year. Um, it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But we were um, uh, working with Arts, Parks, and Recreation, and hopefully working with Ayuba, the Uptown Business Association, to um, kind of make the, the Armory Park, uh, you know, sprucing up the Armory Park with uh, festive colors this holiday season, maybe making it kind of a walk-through uh, park of Lights or something like that. So we're, we're, we're exploring some possible options there beside the Armory as well. So we're going to... Oh, that park. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking about the... Um, well, never mind. I know now where you mean, the Armory Park. Okay. Right, our new little pocket park. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that does look nice. I walked through that, uh, well, twice now. And um, made the point of stopping, parking... Walking through it, it was nice. Okay, it's pleasant. Yeah, it's a good place. You know, it, it, especially now, you, you kind of mentioned this on the front end, Dave. And I'm not, not necessarily wanting to go back to the COVID nineteen conversation, but you know, I really urge people to to um, you know responsibly with a face mask or covering, or at least social distancing um, with your family away from others. Get outside. You know, experience places like. Mm-hmm. Did I lose you? Okay, let's um, let's see here, folks. I guess uh, Scott, you come over here and run Art Turf while I get him going. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's see here. Get my numbers out. It's two five zero one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, okay. I think it is. So, uh, let's see. I think you're ready to do your thing. Go ahead. I-N-E-P-T Tech Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Oysters! Oysters! Raw, raw, raw! And here we are, fans, in the fourth quarter of the Toilet Bowl football game in Flushing. 
The Oysters have been at Tech, leading Flushing State by a score of 9-7. to seven. Late in the ball game, 37 seconds left. It's fourth down. The Oysters have the ball back on their own 12-yard line, and we have Coach Artur Mike down on the sidelines. Let's see if we can listen in and see what the Oysters' strategy is going to be. All right, all y'all boys, listen up. Can't talk too good now. I've been yelling the whole ball game. All we got to do is run out this clock. We got ourselves a victory. All right, we're going to punt the ball out of here. Where's Wedgman? Wedgman, where are you? Can't find Wedgman. We got to run us a play. All right, everybody listen up. 82, ABX, zig out. We're going to run out the clock. Come on, let's go. Time back in on the field. The Oysters are not going into punt formation on fourth down. They're going to win the ball. The quarterback, third and 12, has it. He pitches the ball back to Needles Norgan in the backfield. Norgan running with the ball. Now back to Shorty Summers. Summers cuts to the right. They're about to bring him back. He pitches the ball back to half time. Hines. Hines is going to pitch it back to Norgan. It's going to be a safety. And the ball game is tied at 9-9. And we're going to go into overtime. We'll be back with that overtime period right after we pause for this message. And we're back with you at Flushing for the final conclusion of this toilet bowl football game. The Oysters of NF Tech and Flushing State tied 9-9. The Oysters, for some reason, did not punt the ball on fourth down, and Flushing State was able to trap them in the end zone for a safety right on the final play of the game as time expired to send it into overtime. Now NF Tech has lost the toss again, and they'll be kicking off to start the overtime period. Sammy Sidewinder. The kicker is ready to go. The lines are down. He approaches the ball, and there's the kick. It's a high, twisting in over end kick. Paul Plunger, the ace running back for Flushing State, is going to take it on the 15. Moves up to the 20. He's to the 25. Gets a block to the 30. Moves left to the 35. Now to the 40. 45, 50. NF Tech in pursuit. Jeff Gibson misses a tackle on the 35. He's down to the 30. Down to the 25. The 20. They're not going to get him. And Plunger goes into the end zone for a touchdown. And this sudden death overtime period has ended. Flushing State has won this toilet bowl football game by a score of 15-9. to 9. Oh, what a tough loss for the Oysters. I, I wonder if we still have the mic down on the sidelines where Coach Art Turf is. Oh, what a heartbreaking loss it was. Coach Turf, if you can hear me. A touchdown run on the opening kickoff of overtime. What a way to lose a ball game. Well, all I can say is it was a fine ball game. Listening again, sports fans, for the next thrill-packed interview with the head coach of the Fighting Oysters of MX Tech, the coaching legend in his own mind, the one and only Coach Art Turf. Okay, we did it. Uh, unexpectedly, though, uh, we were, uh, of course, um, uh, with the mayor and uh, lost our connection. So uh, I'm, excuse the interruption there, but um, that is uh, such a funny show. Okay. Um, Flushing State. Hmm. Yes, and um, uh, inept tech. Yes. Oysters, oysters, raw, raw, raw. And it goes away. Okay. Let's get back to our place. Um, you know, we have, we've always been proud of the international student community that calls Athens home. And um, with this COVID thing, uh, they've been presented with some additional problems and and challenges um and you and i talked about it just a bit before the show um there's been several efforts to try to help them out and and why don't you share with us some that are still still going sure um and david you're well aware of this that the athens rotary um has had several food drives to help uh, put money or put, uh, uh, well, and money, uh, money and food, yep. uh, as well as supplies into the Bobcat cupboard 
um, over at uh, Baker Center and have that dedicated to the international students. That has been wonderful. Uh, there has been a number of other fundraisers uh, that were uh, hosted by a number of different organizations, and that has been very helpful as well. That, that, that is ongoing. Um, the real challenge, Dave, becomes uh, with both the graduate and the undergraduate student body to where a lot of them had internships or trainingships that mm -hmm. would have been lined up for the summer, which would have been paid internships. Uh, because uh, what stipends they did receive were for the academic year, um, but not for the summer. And that kind of vaporized, uh, for obvious reasons, over the summer. And it really put a lot of the international students in a real precarious situation to where they weren't eligible for employment uh, because of their international status mm -hmm. being on student visas. Um, and uh, as I was told early on, uh, by uh, Faustina Mensa, who at the time was the chair of uh, the International Student uh, Union, um, that uh, they were going to be short in total about $450,000 collectively uh, of what, you know, and in need of that much money to continue on. A lot of them could not fly back home. Uh, they didn't have the money to fly back home, um, or they didn't want to risk flying back home and then not able to come back to the United States, to back to Athens, to continue their, their training this fall. Uh, so that, that struggle still goes on. So, sure. um, you know, I just would like to, to put that out there that uh, hopefully people listening would be, uh, might be interested in donating food to the Bobcat uh, Cupboard at Baker Center, uh, or reaching out to Diane Cahill, uh, who is the individual who represents the international students uh, in Ohio University. So, um, there used yeah, to be an organization, community-based, that uh, took an extra focus on the international students that we host here for several years um, of their careers, and. Um, I, I really hope that thing can be re-energized, um, because it, it should exist all the time. Now, yeah, I agree with you, Dave. And, yeah. um, well, anyway, um, in, <clears throat> you know, in our own home, we've hosted many of them. Um, many students that came upon some sort of hardship, and then we took them in for a year or two. Um, I think we're up to 20 now. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, and it's such a great experience, folks, because these people, you then know the rest of your lives. We have Jens from Norway. We got uh, Lucas from Germany. We got, well, anyway, it goes on and on and on. And uh, No, and I, I agree with you, Dave. I, I think a group like that, it would be great to have that re-energized again. Mm -hmm. Um so, and I, I have to give a shout out to, you know, the Athens County Foundation has a, an emergency relief grant process uh, that they go through for people impacted by COVID-19. And I know that they have issued two grants, uh, sizable grants, to uh, the international students' efforts, you know, for rent and, and uh, utility relief or for food, you know, you name it. Um, so... You know, again, anybody who feels like they can help out, please do. This is this group is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yep. Um, listen, one thing that uh, is kind of fun to see is the uh, the new Richland Avenue pedestrian tunnel, right? <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, um, I, I traversed that uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, it, it turned out very well. I think. You know that, uh, and then. If people are using the tunnel, it's working as design to where people aren't playing Frogger across Richland Avenue anymore. Uh, so that, uh, that was, a, I deem as a, a big success uh, moving forward. Uh, and another thing that's going to be opening soon, Dave, that is transit-related is the 
final phase of the Northwest Bike Path Spur. That is the spur that goes from uh, West State Street Park across the former railroad uh, bridge over the Hawking River and then over to basically Armitage Road slash Littlefish area. Mm -hmm. The final phase goes from Armitage Road on up to University Estates and that will likely be open uh, next week, uh, we're hoping, to where the final railing and uh, the seating has taken place up there. But that one was a, a project that had been planned for quite some time, but kind of hit some snags. Things like getting the permits to cut down certain trees that need to be cut down, but then we got into um, the bat season, and there's a period of time in which trees cannot be cut down because of... Uh, different species of bat that might be uh, nesting in those or residing in those trees. So uh, finally got the green light from uh, the powers that be to go ahead and remove some select trees that's been paved. And we're just doing the, the final touches on that, and that will be uh, opened up to pedestrian and uh, bicycle traffic. Let's uh, change topic to census, okay? Um, so last night um, <clears throat> I was with um, some neighbors, and uh, one of the neighbors, knowing how I track the statistics on COVID, uh, gave me a report that evidently was in the paper in the last day or two, where they took the entire Athens County community by community and showed its population and how many cases, like Athens itself, or Nelsonville itself, Albany, and did some statistics there. So then I spent the evening last night while watching TV adding all this stuff together. Um, golly, it's... Um, so I, I guess... So Athens' population... Last officially announced, 34,122 people. Now, um, if we hit the 35,000 mark, will that mean something good to us? Um, I have often said we were at 24,000, and I was hoping we could hit the 25,000 because I had a feeling that would make a difference in some degree of how the state supports the state roads through our city uh, or other things like that. Um, but I, I don't know where the magic points are. And maybe you don't either, but obviously I, the more people that we get counted, the better, I think. Um, tell us about the census from your point of view. Sure. Um, you know, the in some census tracts in the city of Athens, we did better than we did in 2010. Uh, two, most notably, um, did better than 2010, and that's your goal, is to get a better count than you did the previous time. Unfortunately, I believe it's five other census tracts in the city of Athens did uh, not only more poorly than we did in 2010, uh, in, in one or two cases, 10 percentage points uh, less or, or more worse off than we were in 2010. Mm -hmm. That's troubling. Yeah. Uh, let me go back to a comment you made, Dave, and that is that uh, you, you're right in that we were uh, running at 24,000 and something uh, estimated because um, every year the Census Bureau kind of... yes uses their formula to say, okay, you've increased since 2010 and by X each year, and we were at uh, yeah, 24,000 and something, and we were expecting, uh, and still somewhat are, I guess, expecting to exceed 25,000. When you exceed 25,000 from a program's uh, funding perspective, and most notably through the Ohio Department of Transportation, there's a granting mechanism that we've been very successful at getting money through, which is called the ODOT Small Cities Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, number of projects, we've used that money for uh, various projects. Like, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember specific projects, but regardless, you, you qualify 
because you are in a municipality that is under 25,000. Once you exceed that, you are no longer eligible for those, that mechanism, and you have to now compete against, you know, the Dayton's, the Columbus, the Cincinnati's, the Cleveland's, you know, you're no competing in against between? bigger cities. You'd think they'd have uh, a step in between. That's a big jump. It's a huge jump. If, yeah. if the city of 25,000 is competing against a city of, what, 850,000, yeah. a million people. That makes no uh, sense. <laughs> yeah, that becomes a little more challenging. However, I have to get give, once again, huge credit to my staff down at Engineering and Public Works uh, with Jessica Dine is the uh, interim director for Engineering and Public Works. Uh, I have to give a lot of credit to our citizen soldier who's over in the Middle East right now, Andy Stone, uh, who uh, is the service safety director, but the former director for engineering and public works. Stellar jobs in being able to bring in um, Ohio Department of Transportation funding, Ohio Public Works Commission funding, you know, a different, a lot of different funding streams that we're eligible for, and we'll continue to do so, Dave. I mean, so we compete against the Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati. So I, I think our track record, and this is key, part of the metric that gets looked at keenly by Ohio Department or Ohio Public Works Commission or ODOT, uh, Ohio Department of Transportation, or whomever, is what is your track record for completing the project in which you received federal or state monies to complete? And... Again, the track record here in Athens has been extremely strong. You know, if you were to look at something like, what is your bond rating? You know, and your AAA is the best that you can get. Well, I would contend that when it comes to our ability to complete projects, that we are in that AAA category, mm -hmm. that uh, we do very well. So that's, that we'll continue to, you know, fight for funding to improve our roads. Again, I have to, another thing I want to mention, Dave, briefly, is that, I want to give a thank you to uh, the citizens of Athens for voting. I believe it was it passed by 72%, which is a statement unto itself. The uh, Athens Street Rehabilitation Levy Renewal that went through, uh, that is money that we use in the city of Athens as the match for some of the programs that I just mentioned through the Department of Transportation through ODOT, through OPWC, um, and so that's that's great to see as well. Let's see, we've got about uh, seven minutes remaining today. Um, council, um, let's see here. I guess I guess we had an election there too, didn't we? Well, uh, no, we didn't. Okay. Not for city council. Okay. Um, no, that'll be next year, okay. Dave. Um, we'll see how that goes. So, um, let's go back to projects real quick. Okay. Um, so, the city of Athens receives every year um, something called the uh, the NOPEC uh, Energized Community Grant. It's something that comes because we're in the the uh, we're one of the participating cities in the gas aggregation through a group called NOPEC, Northeast Ohio Public Energy Council. And we get about 11000 plus, give or take, um, $11,000 a year. Uh, we have to apply for it, but we have been consistently getting that money. We're eligible for that money. The first year, we got the solar lighting for the bus shelters. Uh, last year, we got these solar picnic table umbrellas. Uh, and they're down at the community center for people to recharge their personal devices, your cell phone, your tablet, whatever. Uh, we received uh, another grant this year, and this year what we're going to do is standalone solar street lights uh, in some uh, in an area of the city. And uh, we're doing a lot of work on the west side with with um, LED lighting, uh, which is different than what I'm describing to you. We're going to enhance lighting on the west side. But uh, with this project, what we're looking at is possibly putting these freestanding solar lights uh, on uh, certain streets over in the Far East neighborhood to where 
as you're well aware, Dave, the street lighting over in the Far East neighborhood runs along streets like Jacobs or Dalton or uh, Pleasant View, I think, uh, has a power grid that runs. It runs east-west. It doesn't run north-south. Yet the blocks along north-south over uh, in the Far East neighborhood. And uh, when I had attended a Far East Neighborhood Association meeting some time ago, that was indicated to me that the mid-blocks are kind of dark uh, at nighttime, yet people would like to still get out and walk their dog, uh, get some exercise or whatever. And so we're exploring. Uh, Jessica Dine, uh, down at Engineering Public Works, is working with an individual uh, who's part of the Neighborhood Association, FINA, uh, to see where what locations might be best suited to put these freestanding decorative commercial streetlights um, over that area. So something to look forward to, uh, or not, depending on <laughs> who you are, uh, over on that side of town. Well, um, Paul, Paul Logue has had some interesting uh, and different and creative uh, ideas, and he's been presenting them to the different community neighborhood, I should say, associations. And some have met with favor, and some have been said, nah. But um, um, I, I don't know. I, I love the, the, the fact that ideas are being talked about. Yeah, I agree. And, and some of them could be really cool. So um, I think we should keep that up. Um, we, we do. We need to constantly explore things, Dave. Um, and to that point, when you mentioned Paul Logue, uh, Planning Commission is meeting today at noon, and the only item on our agenda is approval of the 2040 Vision Comprehensive Plan, uh, which Paul Logue has done an outstanding job mm -hmm. that, getting that together. So that's something to look forward to, and then Planning Commission will vote on it, and after that, uh, depending on how the vote goes, actually not dependent, it's still going to go to city council. So it will go from planning commission on to council, and council will take it up and hopefully adopt it before we get into 2021. Well, um, you work closely with uh, the president, I know, of the university. Um, they, they need us. We need them. And it's, it's a good relationship. Um Keep that up and keep building it up. And even some of his lieutenants, uh, they need to uh, be connected to our lieutenants, if you know what I mean. I do. I so, do. Anything? Yeah, we really we left anything out today? Uh, just real quickly, Dave. I know we're running out of time. Yep. Um, they, I do have a couple vacancies for boards and commissions, if I could share. If anybody's interested, please contact me. Shade Tree Commission has a vacancy as does the Joint Police Advisory Council has, too. We're looking for someone who works in the victim's advocacy world um, as, a, as a candidate and also someone who uh, is a commuter into the city of Athens who might be interested in serving on the Joint Police Advisory Council. So please reach out to me, 592-3338, if you're interested in serving on any of the boards and commissions here in the city of Athens, uh, of course, is predicated upon there being a vacancy. Yeah. And I would just tell you, if ever a vacancy opens up again in Arts, Parks, and Rec, uh, after 22 years of chairing that, I would love to do it again. So, um, anyway, you know, it was Paul, um, Paul Weil, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. Who finally said, Palmer... We had term limits on it. You should should not have been on there 22 years. <laughs> so I had to leave. Oh, well, listen, thank you. You're, you're, you're okay. welcome. And uh, keep up the good work. We'll talk again soon. Wonderful. Take care, Scott. Take care, Dave. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's see here. Shouldn't it be time? In our 71st year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WBTH FM.
is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by eBay. I'm Vicki Barker in London. As Minnesota heads into four weeks of tough COVID restrictions. Bad. We have not seen our health system in this much stress ever in our career. Dr. Dimitri Draconia of the VA healthcare system in Minneapolis. More than 250,000 U.S. COVID deaths now, and it's spreading at its fastest rate since March. Still barred from access to White House offices and resources, President-elect Joe Biden is meeting with a bipartisan group of governors today. One of the things I'm going to be doing is ask, thanking the governors already but calling on all the leaders in the states to have mandatory masking. Well, Mr. Biden can expect serious pushback from a number of states still resisting COVID containment measures. CBS's Carter Evans is in Twin Falls, Idaho. Despite nearly 800 deaths, Idaho's Republican governor has resisted issuing a mask mandate, a requirement some residents oppose. All they're trying to do is control you. Everything you do is based on the mask and the disease, and it's wrong. Promising early results from the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which seems to be tolerated by all age groups. Researchers say they're hoping for more high-quality data in terms of efficacy and safety in the coming weeks. It's worth remembering that this vaccine can be stored in a basic refrigerator rather than a deep freeze. CBS's Charlie Daggett in London. The NFL's issuing new COVID guidance. CBS's Jim Crisula has that. Face coverings will be mandatory at all times at team facilities. Locker room time will be limited. And meetings will be held either virtually or in the largest indoor space with approval from the league. Normal cafeteria meetings for players.